Sunday night last week, we all went to 3CR for city celebration. We were in this tent with, I don't know, close to 2,000 people. And there was Auntie Norma standing in front of me, dancing and praising her Jesus. It was beautiful. Yeah. Where's Martin? It's good having you here, bud. Where's Eric? Nice to have you from Cape Town, my Back to the roots of Benoni. Good having you. And Wimian, don't worry, we don't normally sing that Volta Engelsus Licky for the year, okay? I hope you come back. But, but when I was at youth many years ago, we used to sing that song. And I battled to sing that song. Because what does it mean to become more undignified than this? What does it mean? It's easy for me to go to King's Park and watch the sharks annihilate the lions. And I can start dancing and singing and making a bit of noise there. It's easy for me to stand on the side of the cross country at St. Dustbins and watch Faramir kill them. I, I can do that. I, I get into that. that. That's easy. But this whole dancing thing for Jesus becoming more undignified than this. And, whew, I don't know. Just, I don't know. On the Saturday when we come here in the afternoon and we set up everything and we do a sound check. And then we test the speakers. And we make sure that they're holy. And we burn the hell out of them. And we put on some of my Jesus cycling music. And we hoy a bit. I can dance a little bit up here. I think I can dance. So for those of you who who think you can dance, maybe today's for you. This song we've just sung. We find a little bit of this song in Psalm 132. Martin's right. We've been going through the Psalms. So turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 132. Easy one to remember. If you don't have your Bible... You can leave now. Okay, I'm joking. Don't get up. Just come back next week with your Bible, please. And if you don't have a Bible here, just, uh, just, look, just sit like this. Maybe someone will lend you theirs and they'll uh, read from their smartphone. Maybe they'll be kind to you if you don't have a Bible. And in, in the other finger, with the other finger, turn to 2 Samuel 6. One finger in Psalm 132. And then in, in 2 Psalms chapter 6. We're looking from, from there today. Two Psalms, chapter 6. I'm joking here. Oh, my goodness. Psalm 132, 2 Samuel 6. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Let's close our eyes. Again, we hear the pages of your word turning, God. And I pray today, God. People will not hear my voice. I pray today the power of the word is going to come alive to people. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, I pray. Help us to understand this song in a bit of a deeper, more meaningful meaning. What does it really mean to become undignified? Help us to understand the God that we serve, who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is what it says, friends, in Psalm 132. O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. Say hardships. Hardships. The hardship that David is going through here, friends, is he's been wanting, he has this desire to see God's presence come back into Jerusalem. And it's worrying him and it's keeping him awake at night. Because what had happened was they'd parked the ark. The ark of God's presence, that they parked it there. Zoli, give us a picture there on the screen there of what this ark, ark looked like. That, that was the ark, and through the entire Old Testament, God's presence was there. God existed in the presence of the ark. When they just parked the ark, 20 years, 
It just stood there. And for 20 years, Jerusalem just carried on existing without God's presence. For 20 years. Friends, I want to ask you today. Do you think that our nation has the presence of God? I don't know. But I do know that South Africa desperately needs God's presence. We need a group of leaders who are going to rise up and be desperate for Jesus and do whatever it takes to see him and his presence in South Africa. Come back to this nation. Come back to Benoni, friends. And I think, I think I know this for certain. God's presence has left many boardrooms, many companies. God's presence is no longer there because godly decisions are not being made in boardrooms. Man's selfish own decisions are being made in boardrooms. And we need God to raise up a group of men and women that will endure much hardship. David endured much hardship to see the presence of God come back to, to our city and to society. And I pray that God would send us headmasters and headmistresses. Because I know this, God is busy moving out of our education system in South Africa. We need headmasters and headmistresses. We need men and women brave to stand up and say, we will fly God's flag and see God's presence carry on. In schools in South Africa, whether it's education, sports, politics, business, I want to say even the church, even the church, we need men and women to stand up and start preaching from the word. Let the word become alive in people's hearts. I don't care. I will dance. I will sing. I will be even more undignified than this. And we're scared, man. We're scared of what people think about of us. We're scared because we want to be accepted in the eyes of man. And not in the eyes of God. And we're not, pre- we're not presenting the presence of God to a society, to a city that desperately needs to see the presence of God come back. And we need courageous people to stand up at this time. I'm not angry. I'm just quite passionate about this. Verse 2. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or go to bed. I will no, allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber till, to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, the mighty one of Jacob. God, I will not rest. God, I will not sleep until your presence comes back to the city. That's what David is saying. Would you agree with me, friends, that, that God's presence has been parked in the major nations of the world? Would you agree with that? And, and the consequences of that has been, has, been, has been really frightening, friends. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jah. Let us go. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord. Come back. Come to your resting place, you and the ark. Say the ark. The ark of your might. And so we're going to carry on reading this story about how David brings back the ark, brings back God's presence to Jerusalem. We're going to read about it in 2 Samuel 6. Turn with me there to 2 Samuel 6. And we're going to see how everything in the Bible links up. It's amazing. Every single part of the Bible links up. We're going to read the whole chapter. Don't sit there frowning thinking, oh, that's going to put me to sleep. It's not because it's exciting, your friends. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, I've put it on the screen for you. Zoli's got it. And it's beautiful today. This is a brand new screen that the school has put up this week. And for the first time that we're using it, first time the school's using it, it's filled up with God's scripture. Isn't that beautiful? And we pray, God, that in the school hall, which you have given us, and we're so grateful for, that through the years, that your presence is going to continue to be in this hall, in this school. 
as we start this projector today with your word engraved on it in Jesus' name. And so uh, here it is. Let's see. Right at the top of chapter 6, you see it says there, the ark brought back to Jerusalem. That's Psalm 32, friends. He endured much hardship. David endured much hardship to bring the presence of God back into the center of society. Here we go. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel. 30,000. He and all his men went to Baalah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty. If you go back and you read the story from 1 Samuel 6 and 7, you'll see that the ark was parked in a guy's house. His name is Abinadab. Say Abinadab. Say it fast, Abinadab. There we go. Because if you ride an off-road motorbike, my KTM friends from the east, Brackpan Springs, they say speed will get you out of anything. You say Abinadab fast. And so the ark of God is parked in Abinadab's house 20 years. It's just parked there. And Jerusalem carries on existing without the presence of God. And so David says, hang on, I want to bring God's presence back. He and all his men set out from Baalah to bring up from there the ark of the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. Give us that picture quick, Zolz. You see the cherubim? In between the cherubim, that's where God's presence existed. That's, that's where God dwelt throughout the whole testament. They set the ark of the Lord on a new cart. Say new cart. So this is a great idea. David says we're going to bring the ark back. Let's put it on a cart. Let's buy a Toyota. Let's put the cart on the back of a Toyota. Yeah, here we go. Want alles loopreg altijd recht Toyota. I mean, to be honest, you can't bring God back in a Land Rover. It's in a breakdown. It's a true story. They say 70% of all Land Rovers, 70% of all Land Rovers ever built are still on the, are still on the road. The other 30%, they made it home. The 70%, they broken down outside there. And I see Bridgie's laughing again. Because she drives an Evogue in Lakefield. So I'm glad Nikki's not here, man. But uh, you know those guys, they put that sticker on their windscreen or their Land Rover. One life. Live it. Oh, that's good. I'm glad they're living their life. But the next time you see a Land Rover parked in the shopping center, just go up to the guy and say, hey, do you know where you're going? Because it's all very well living your life. One life living it. But make sure you know where you're going. So they put... God, back on this new cart, verse 3, they set the ark on a new cart, on this Toyota. And they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahiah, sons of Abinadab, were guarding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahiah was walking in front of it. And David and the whole of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs, harps, lyres. That's like a little harp. Tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon... Uzzah reached out his hand and took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. And as I read this, I think, heck God, this is so unfair. Because this guy, Uzzah, is just trying to help you. He doesn't want the ark to fall off, the way, off this cart now because the oxen have stumbled. It's unfair. doesn't make sense here, friends. If you go back and read the story, God says, the high priests need to carry the ark on their shoulders because it's holy. And, and Uzzah couldn't just reach out and touch his hand because God is a holy God. And he thought he could, but he couldn't. Then David was angry. 
because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez, Uzzah. David is afraid now of the Lord, and he says, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. So if you read the whole story and go back, what had happened was the Philistines captured, they stole the ark of God. They put it in their temple next to their God, whose name was Dagon. They wake up in the morning, Dagon's fallen over. And so they put him up again, and the next morning they wake up, and Dagon, their God, his head is chopped off, cut off, and his arms are off. And then to make it worse, tumors break out in the Philistines. And so they say, hang on, we can't keep God's presence. We've got to give the ark back. And so they give the ark back. And then some of the Israelites look into the ark, and they die. And now Uzzah's died. And, and so David's thinking, it's impossible. Let me just rather bless my friend Obed-Edom. Let me see, who does anybody want the ark of God in their house? It's like, no thanks, we don't want to die. Let, let Obed-Edom take, take the ark. Let, let him have it. Look what it says in verse 11, friends. It says, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. This is very interesting, eh? Because for 20 years, the ark has been in Abinadab's house, unchanged. Nothing changes. And it goes to Obed-Edom's house, three months. The Bible says his family, his entire household is changed. I've seen people who've gone to church 20 years, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, no change. And then I see other people come to a little school hall for three months, like Gareth and Chantel. Last week, Sunday, they decide, we want to get baptized. Our lives have changed. It's incredible, dear friends. Let me ask you, how many years have you been in the church unchanged? You just go to church and nothing changes. There's no change. I met a lady this week at the Wimpy. We had a cappuccino Thursday night, and she was sharing with me how she's been coming to church on Sunday here with us as a family. And for years, she's gone churches around the country, PE. She was brought up there, and she shares how she's coming to freedom. And she walks in, and she starts to weep. Oh, what are we doing? Are we doing, are we doing nothing? It's the presence of God filling this place. And her son looks at her and says, Mom, can you sense the Holy Spirit here today? How many years have you gone to church unchanged? Well, let me ask you this question. Here's another one. Where were you spiritually 20 years ago? Rewind the clock. Where were you? I was in matric, maybe, 20 years back. And, and maybe you looked at, at some of the, the peers at school thinking, the Christian guys, mm, I don't quite know about that. And maybe now something's happened the last couple of months. Something's starting to become alive inside of you. You're thinking, maybe 20 years ago when I was in matric, Maybe they weren't too, too far off. You're starting to experience that perhaps. Maybe it's not 20 years ago. Maybe rewind the clock to 2012, 2014, where, where, you, where you started to live and just exist spiritually. And, and something's happened. You've maybe slowed down. And, and you're sensing, hang on, I don't want to just exist spiritually. I want to live spiritually. Verse 12, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So now David's thinking, hang on a minute, maybe there's still hope here. Maybe I can still get God's presence back to Jerusalem because he's blessed Obed-Edom. Have you ever looked at somebody or a family and think to yourself, hang on, if God's blessed that ark and done something in his life, maybe there's hope for me. Have you ever looked at that? 
Ever looked at a, a friend of yours marriage and think, whoa, look what God's done in, in that guy's life and in his marriage. And maybe, maybe God can do that for me too. Maybe, maybe you've looked at a friend of yours, little boy, and God has done an inner healing, an inner work in that little boy's life. And you think, if God can do it for my friend's son, maybe he can do it for my little boy too. Has that ever given you hope that God can do it for you too? So David went down and he brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, say carrying the ark. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps. So, so, so I'm going to take six small steps. Maybe they cheated and took six big steps. After they'd taken six steps, they took a fattened calf and a bull and they sacrificed it right there. And then six steps later, another six, they stop and they sacrifice another bull and a fattened calf. And for you cyclists who are sponsored by carrying beef, you're smiling because the stock is piling up. Every six steps, bring carrying beef. Let's sacrifice another fattened calf and a bull. It's a long journey. You're thinking, how many years is this going to take to get to Jerusalem? Friends, it's not convenient serving Jesus. It's not convenient, man, following Jesus. It's tough. It's a journey. I spoke to a lady this week. She says, I, I, I feel like I'm growing, like I'm moving forward, taking steps in my faith, in my relationship with Jesus. And then I stop and I have a setback. And, and, and then I take six steps forward again, growing closer to Jesus. And then I go through another setback with my family, with my daughters. And then she says, you know, I look at my unsaved friends and their lives are just cruising consistently. And I smiled at her and I said, it's tough following Jesus. It's not convenient serving God. It's tough, this journey that we're on, friends. This Christian life is hard. And by the way, please make sure you've got unsaved friends. Because she's looking at her unsaved friends and they're looking at her. Make sure you've got unsaved friends. Verse 14, David wearing a linen ephod was dancing before the Lord with all his might. So good cohorts or not, this oak is going for it. It's like he's only the dance floor now. He's dancing with all his might. While he and Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, not Michelle, Michal, not Michael either, daughter of Saul, watched from a window She's watching, friends. She's not dancing. She's watching from a distance, looking down. She's the critic, watching from a window. She's not excited. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. I love this. Then he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. Beautiful cycling food here. Cake, dates, raisins. Thank you, mom. Make that again for us when we cycle to Lost Corp. Dad in December. And when we're young, you bring that electric bike and you come ride with us. 
And so he has this incredible moment, friends. Stay with me now. 20 years, God's presence hasn't been in Jerusalem. 20 years now, things are about to change. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Disrobing. Say disrobing. Disrobing himself, taking his robe off, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And he says this to Michal. He says, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people, Israel. He says this. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. Friends, this is not a a song that's sung from some wild charismatic church. Friends, this is a song that the king sings when he derobes himself and becomes even more undignified in the eyes of people because he wants to be dignified in the eyes of God. This is a song that we're going to look at today. And, and friends, unless God raises up businessmen and women and teachers and leaders and sports stars who are more concerned with the presence of God than the presence and, and being dignified in the eyes of man, unless he raises us up, we will carry on cowering. And carry on worrying what people think about us rather than the opinion of heaven. And David went through much hardship. He went through much hardship. Friends, what hardships are we going to go through to see the presence of God come back to the city of Benoni? What hardships are we going to go through at work, in the classroom, amongst our colleagues, on the sports field, at CrossFit at the Silver Star Casino yesterday? And maybe even sitting in the mug and bean, having a milky cappuccino. What hardships are we prepared to go through to see the presence of God come back? He carries on. He says, I will be even more undignified than this. This is not a charismatic slogan, friends. This is a story about David, who in Psalm 132 is so desperate to see God's presence come. And when it finally arrives, 20 years later, in 2 Samuel 6, he derobes and he dances with all his might because of God's presence. And he says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. Friends, when last have you celebrated because of God's presence? Mm, Daryl, it's not quite for me, so I'll miss the countdown and I'll come in five, ten minutes late because, you know, singing is not really my thing. When last have you celebrated because of the presence of God? Friends, God's presence is with us. I really believe that, friends. When you hear people say how they walk into to a hall on a Sunday and they get lost in worship with a band who wants to carry on glorifying God, I, I pray that we'll never get to the stage in this hall where we try and do things to, to see God's presence come. We can't. God's presence comes. It's got nothing to do with us. He says this. He says, I will be humiliated in my own eyes. I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. What does that mean? What does it really mean? To be humiliated in my own eyes. Think about it. For me, I think it would possibly mean to, to be embarrassed in my own eyes. For me, it would possibly mean to say, uh, I cannot do that because I'm weak. In that area. And not to try and pretend that I'm strong. Be humiliated in, in my own eyes. Oh, I, I, I can't do that. I, I can't go there. That's to be humiliated. People may laugh at me. That's what it means possibly to humiliate yourself. But these slave girls you spoke of. 
I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Friends, there's a barrenness over South Africa. And that barrenness needs to be broken by a wild celebration of our Lord Jesus. That's the bottom line. I really believe that. I want to ask you today. Will you and I celebrate the name of Jesus in a wild, radical, real way with mates in a school hall? And so there's three things that I want us to take home today, Auntie Norms. Quick, three things here today, three points. Number one, God has got ways. Look at that. I haven't haven't, uh, pronounced it wrong. Mom, it's ways. Okay, I'm going to share with you a little bit about that. So this is an app that you can put on your phone, but not your phone. Because it's a Nokia and it's dead all the time. doesn't work. frustrates me. God has got ways. And you know what you and I do? We'd rather load Google Maps because Google Maps take us straight there. there that's Google Maps. And, and often, this is what happens in my ADD brain, I'll have both running in my earpiece. And I'll be trying to follow that voice directing me on ways, and I'll be trying to follow that voice directing me on Google Maps, and I'll have a voice note running through the same time, and my wife may phone me, or I may phone her, and it gets a bit crazy in my brain. But maybe you're laughing today. You know why? Because you do the same. You don't trust ways. Ways is going to take you another way. Ways is going to take you on that detour. And then you go Google Maps, and you only discover later... That's why Waze sent me there, because it wanted me to bypass the power failure, wanted me to bypass that accident, wanted me to bypass that heavy traffic. And God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways, friends. You're following God's ways. Sometimes I bypass God's ways, and I go straight to Google Map, and then, then, I, then I see why, and maybe it's too late. God's ways are too long. I'll never get to marry a guy like that, Daryl. So let me bypass God's ways. Let me follow Google Maps and start dating the wolves. I'll never, I'll never get a job like that, Daryl. Let me stop following God's ways and go to Google Maps and settle for second best. And maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you've already made that decision in your mind to stop God's ways and to go Google Maps. And you've made up this decision, but something's happened. Something stopped you at the 11th hour. Jude one twenty three. go and read that verse, friends. I'm saying to you today, listen, listen to God's voice. He's, he's bypassing that for a reason. Because he has a plan for your life. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. Let's get back to the story here. Back to the Bible. Back to God's ways. What was happening in the story? God built the ark and he said, this is how you must carry the ark. On the shoulders of the priests. So where did this new cart come from? When they brought back the the ark to Jerusalem. They said, oh, let's honor God. Let's buy a new cart. Let's get that Toyota. And God says, no, you're not going to do it that way. He says, when you bring my presence back, you do it in my ways, not Google Maps. We've got to get back to God's ways and not Google Maps. And we've got to make sure, friends, when we build a church here, it's almost been a year. When we carry on building God's church here in a hall, that we don't do it on Google Maps, we do it on God's ways. It's got to be built on God's ways and not our own stupid, silly Google Map thinking. And how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that, friends? The best way to look at that is to go to Acts chapter 10. Don't worry to turn there. I'll tell you the quick story what happens. Peter has a dream. And he sees God bringing down a sheet from heaven. And on this sheet are all different kinds of animals. And he looks at this in his dream. And then God says to him, Peter, eat. 
kill and eat. Now, Peter's grown up pure. You can only eat certain kinds of meat. And, and the Greeks stay there and the English stay there. And, Peter, and, and Peter's looking at this and he thinks and says, Surely not, Lord. Surely this cannot be your ways, God. This is impossible, God. How can your ways be this way? God's ways are not our Google Maps way of building a church, friends. And when we speak the ways of God, when we live the ways of God, we attract the presence of God. How do we do that? Peter was speaking in this house, and he says, he says these words. And as he's talking, the Bible says in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit rushed in. The Holy Spirit filled that place. He's speaking about forgiveness. He's speaking about the good news of Jesus, and he says there's no favoritism. Friends, when we speak and live the ways of God, and there's no favoritism. Anybody, everybody, family can come into this hall and experience God's presence. There's no favoritism. What are the ways of God? Graciousness, humility, patience, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness. And when we live according to God's ways, presence of God will flow into the city. However, Daryl, you don't know what that person's done. He's sitting here today. You don't know. I don't want to know. Jesus knows what that person's done. And, and, and too often, we, we, we focus on, on, on the wrong things instead of focusing on, on what God is doing. There's, there's, there's that parable in Matthew 13, friends, that speaks about not focusing on the, on the weeds, the wheat. Things are happening in this church. Wheat is busy growing in this church. Don't focus on the weeds, friends. Focus on the wheat. Instead of seeing what's happening, what, what's, what's happening in, in, in a godly way in that person's life. That's the way of God. Being a follower of God's ways means you trust in Him. Even when it doesn't make sense. And you start networking with other Christians, other people around you. Start discipling somebody next to you. Don't, don't, don't go down that road. If you go down that road, this is what's going to happen. Networking with a family here at Freedom Church until one day we reach our final destination. So that's number one. God's ways to build a church are not our small Google ways. Number two, we've got to go back to our story here quickly. Somebody had to touch the ark so that you and I can get blessed like Obed-Edom. Someone had to touch the ark. Someone had to die. So that you and I can get blessed by our Heavenly Father. Uzzah is a picture of Jesus. Uzzah touched the ark. So that you and I, so that Obed-Edom can live with the blessing and the inheritance that God had for him. And because of Jesus doing what he did, paying the ultimate price on the cross, you and I have access to a relationship in freedom with our Heavenly Father. Friends, it's nothing you've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. The effort that he went to, to bridge the gap, just like Uzzah did. Jesus did that for you and I, just like Uzzah did in the Old Testament. Number one, God's ways are different. Number two, Jesus died just like Uzzah so that we can live in the blessing and the freedom and in our inheritance. And number three, I'll close with this, the derobing, the derobing. Of the king. What did David do? He derobed. And he said, I will become even more undignified than this. We derobe. Friends, we derobe. We don't have to die. We derobe. 
We need to derobe so that God can have power. I heard a story this week about a lady in Benoni who derobed. I sat with a man whose wife had a broken leg. And so she went to hospital. And through complications, she died. Crazy. And now he sits with a seven-year-old little boy going through this massive storm. He hasn't slept for two days. And he's driving down Great North Road, around that sharp corner, and he's hooking it because he's, his mind is nowhere. And as he goes around that corner, down past Wordsworth, there's a lady driving at 40 k's an hour in front of him on her phone like this because she's lost. And so he pulls up and cuts her off and gets out the car and starts shouting and swearing at her because he's just going off. He's nowhere. Gets back into his car and she follows him. Follows him and follows him and follows him. And now he thinks, hang on, I'm in trouble here. Either she's got a husband on cheat sweets or he's got PHP after him now with Brandon. Not, never mind CMS. He starts panicking. And eventually he stops. And she stops behind him and she gets out of her car. She derobed. And she said to him, I'm sorry. I was lost. I shouldn't be looking at my phone. I shouldn't be driving the way I was. I'm sorry. She looks at him and she says, sir, I think you're an angry man. I think you're an angry man. And so he gets out of his car and, and, and they start talking and, and he starts sharing a little bit with her. And then she says, sir, I, th- I think there's a lot of sadness in your heart. And for 30 minutes, they stand next to his car and she starts derobing and she starts taking time out of her life, out of the day. And she says, can I pray for you? And this man sits with me in a school office here, weeping, saying to me, Daryl, I don't believe in God, but how is this possible that this woman follows me and she prays for me? She derobed. Friends, will you now derobe in the city of Benoni? Because you don't know what it could do for somebody who's just lost his wife and hasn't slept for two days. Are you willing to derobe yourself? Are you willing to lay down your own selfish Desires, derobe yourself. Derobe yourself, King Alex. Start serving your ex-wife and your kids, man. Derobe yourself, King James. Derobe yourself, Queen Janice. Derobe yourself, Queen Michelle. Because we have to usher in the coming of the king. We've got to stop fighting selfish fights in boardrooms and in churches. The local church will become alive, friends, if we live in God's ways and not our own Google Map ways.